Good day, everyone. This is March Twisdell, producer and host of a brand new show here on Voice of Ashon called Focus On. Let me start today by asking you a question. Have you ever wondered what great ideas might be hiding just next door in another culture or country? Well, if you have wondered that, then this is the show for you. Today, I will be talking with Katrin Ostatir, one of several guest writers from Iceland who are joining me on Focus On. Hello, Katrin. Thanks for joining me today. Hello, and thank you for having me. Yeah, I know. We made it work, right? I would did. So, um, real quick, I'd like to remind everyone that the views and opinions expressed in this program are not necessarily those of the board, staff, underwriters, or donors of Voice of Ashon. As an organization, VOV does not take political positions. We do support our show hosts and their guests in expressing their views as long as they're not obscene or hate-mongering. So, thanks everyone for listening. Focus On is recorded, as I said, in the studios of Voice of Ashon. It will be broadcast at 11 a.m. on Sundays and 5 p.m. on Fridays here in the Seattle area on 101.9 FM KVSH. If you want to share this with people outside the area, they can go to marchtwisdale.com and check out my podcast. Okie doke. So to get us started, Katrin, could you please give people a sense of who you are and what you do? Yes, I can, of course. Uh, I am uh, an Icelandic woman, <laughs> turning 40 in August, so celebrate that with me. <laughs> and I uh, originally was a journalist, that's my profession, uh, back in the Hay, and then I became a lawyer. And I've always been an activist, that is one of the things that I've been taught by my parents in, since I was a child. And uh, and uh, then I participated in writing the new constitution for Iceland, which was uh, the first crowdsourced constitution, many say, of the world, where the people of Iceland participated themselves in actually writing the text of the constitution in an open and transparent uh, process that uh, was uh, uh, facilitated them to actually comment through Facebook and so on and, and make a change. So uh, since that was written back in 2011, I've been trying to fight for that to be enacted, but our parliament still hasn't uh, mounted up the courage to do that, so it needs a little bit of help there. Uh, and as a lawyer, I've mostly worked for uh, refugees and dis- disabled people and, and on the field of human rights. So that is a very, very, very short version. Yes, yes. Thank you. Excellent. Okie doke. So Let's go ahead and ground people a little bit in the history that you were sharing with me when we met in Iceland about a month ago, and that is, I think what really fascinated me was just how far this new constitution actually got, and the the amazing teeny tiny little thing that seems to be holding it up. And then the other thing is, if you could explain a bit about where the current Icelandic constitution came from and the reasons for wanting to replace it. Okay, those are two big questions, but I'm good at talking fast and <laughs> getting a lot of stuff in, so <laughs> let me try. Okay. Yes. So uh, Iceland is a young democracy, right? It's uh, it's originated uh, back in 1944. We became a democracy. Before that, we were occupied by the Danes, the Denmark people. But uh, in the in the late uh, or in the Second World War, the Nazis occupied Denmark, so we could sneak away, which was a great uh, uh, sort of. Uh, plot we had. Unfortunately, it left us with a bit of problem that because we were trying to get away and just be independent, uh, we decided not to update or write a new constitution for the country. Instead, we used the Danish one, which was a very old one, and we just replaced the word basically uh, president uh, with the word king. 
So it was always supposed to be written. We were also always supposed to get our own constitution. But now, 70, 70 years later, all we have is like few amendments. And we're stuck with the same old thing that doesn't really serve our modern day society. So uh, after the, the crash in Iceland in 2008, where Iceland went under first of all the nations in the world when it came to the big uh, financial downfall, we mm -hmm. had this like moment of clarity where we were like, okay, let's do something big. Let's try to change things so this doesn't happen again. And let's, let's try to do it in a way that we're actually doing it together. Because if you think about it, what, what is a constitution? It's actually a social contract. It's, it's like it's the ground law that all other law is based upon. You know, so if you mm -hmm. don't have it uh, in a way that actually echoes the society as it is, and of course, a 70 year old uh, uh, constitution for Iceland based on the Danish one, which is uh, 200 years old or something, does not properly does do that because we don't have the same uh, tradition as you do, you guys in America, where the courts sort of develop it. So uh, we decided to, to try to do it uh, the best we could. And, and this was a, a new government that was elected back in 2009 that seriously tried to do the best they could to actually invite the people of Iceland to participate. And every single research that I've read in the late, uh, uh, maybe in the last five years or something, it shows that when you open up a process like this and you actually invite all different types of people to participate, you get a you get a better result than just having the typical committee of experts or whatever, right. writing it somewhere in a, in a smoke-filled room, you know, all men, whatever. Right. So, uh, so if you think about the picture of the founding fathers and then you Google the picture of us, you will see a completely different thing. We were 25 people of very diverse uh, uh, backgrounds and we decided after being elected uh, that we wanted to try to work with consensus and also we wanted to try to work with openness because... It's maybe a cliche, but you know you have to really be the change. So if we're we're asking right. our society to change and be more open and be more transparent and more inclusive and build more on consensus rather than this warfare mentality of voting people down, mm -hmm. you have to show that it actually works by doing it. So that we did, and we uh, we uh, first had this big uh, one thousand people meeting in a sports hall somewhere in Iceland, and they were all randomly selected. And they were selected from all all different, uh, of course, uh, steps of life. And they met together for one day and talked uh, about the values which the new constitution should hold. So then, uh, you know, for the first step, you have actually, as much as you can, sort of in a, in a you know, in a realistic way, uh, ask the people of the country, not the, the experts or the ones that think they're so good and then the ones that sort of go forward all the time and say, oh, I have a great idea. But, but the the random people, you know, the people on the street right. to sit down and have a thought about how they want to proceed as a nation. Because we, it's, a, it's almost like a decision to be a nation and to be a group, but you're never asked what it is that you want to aim at being such a group or a nation, you know. Mm -hmm. So they had this marvelous opportunity, those 975 people that uh, showed up that day, to actually vision where we should be going. And they came up with great stuff. And then, then there was a specialist uh, committee that uh, sort of did the academic part, that they sort of studied all the best practice and constitutional theory and so on. And then we had the national election where we could choose 25 people on the constitutional assembly to actually write the thing, right? Uh -huh. And uh, what we did not anticipate, oh, because we had never done this before, and uh, it was, frankly, it hadn't been done before in many places in the world then either, is that so many people wanted to, be part of that uh, 25 uh, group of people, you know. So there was like 450 people that came forth, making it very complicated for the average person to decide upon 
who they should elect for, you know. Mm-hmm. So people are just like scratching their head with like a big fat brochure with 450 right. people in it, <laughs> trying to figure out, okay, how the hell am I going to choose 25? So uh, that was a bit of a stumble, stumbling block. And I think maybe if somebody wants to repeat this whole process, they should carefully think about how that can be tackled so everybody gets mm-hmm. a chance to actually say what they're about and so on. So what happened then was the media sort of gave up. They just thought, okay, Jesus Christ, this is a way too big uh, uh, project for us to handle. Let's just ignore it and start talking about the weather again, you know. <laughs> and, and, and time was sort of taking, and we were like, no, guys, you have to try. So all those people that were uh, were up for the elections, including myself, uh, united, or as many of them as, as wanted, and, and, and sort of came as a group to the media and said, listen, just do your best. At least you, dear national broadcaster, just do your best. I know this is a, a difficult topic to handle so many people in so many voices, but at least just try. So the, that, that changed the, the, the position of the national broadcaster in Iceland, and they decided that every person of those 450 should get 10 or 15 minutes to just talk about what it was that they wanted and wow. why they wanted to be part of this. And that kept playing day and night in Iceland at the, at the national radio station. Just all those different voices and all those different ideas of people with so different backgrounds talking about how they wanted to, why they wanted to be part of this constitutional council and why they wanted their voice to be heard. And it's right. very beautiful. So I think uh, that will be one of our beautiful reference out of this whole thing, even though only 25 of us were elected in the end. And I think I was elected because uh, I was a law student at the time. And I had done one of those big uh, speeches at the protests where I was basically saying, uh, you know, I was sort of, I was very angry. <laughs> is, I was this, saying, is this the post-2008 economic collapse? Yeah, yeah. This is yeah, at, yeah. The, at the protest, the pots and pan revolution is called, because people right. took to the streets with their pots and pans and just kept on banging this rhythm uh, of chains, we can, we can right. say, and, and eventually got all their claims met. So it worked. Uh, and that's a really valuable lesson that we in Iceland now hold in our hearts. Mm-hmm. The lesson that you can actually change things. And Don't you are as a, tell you, you can't. right, right, right. And Say you, again? as a nation, are um, I believe you were the first country or society, pretty much in the world, that started to recover from the collapse faster because you guys did not go to austerity measures, and yeah. you didn't bail out the banks. I think what you did is no. you nationalized them and bailed out sort of the people, and you even yeah. jailed some of the banksters, right? Yeah, I think there's about 25 of them that, that have had sentences already and more are waiting. So a lot of our golden boys, the guys that were in front of the, like, you know, cover covers of the magazines and all that are now somewhere, you know, in, in, in prison, basically. Right. And that is, uh, I don't want people to, I don't even want prisons, you know, I think they're a little bit... Uh, you know, sometimes you have to be able to stop people and all that, but prisons and just prisoning people is very medieval in my opinion. Mm-hmm. However, I think it's great that our court system was able to actually stand a chance against this whole rotten uh, image of global capitalism that well, we saw in Iceland and was part of our downfall mm-hmm. and is still part of the whole world, you know. Well, people will say, they will say that uh, this system that we have and most Western countries have is the best that we have and we can't have an alternative because there is no better solution. And frankly, I will say, and uh, hoping not to defend anybody, uh, offend everybody, I will say it's complete garbage. There is way better systems available to control our resources and to control the way we decide upon what we want to do as groups, as species, as nations, as whatever brackets you draw. You mm-hmm. know, it's just we are 
most of us living with completely outdated systems that were actually built before we had all those technological advantages, before right. we had mass education, before so many different things happened in our history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and so during the Occupy movement, one of the things that um, I did is the local cafe that's very popular on the island. Um, the owner allowed me to create an Occupy montage on the mm -hmm. walls of the cafe for an entire month. It was February mm -hmm. following the Occupy fall when it first happened. Mm -hmm. And one nice. of the things I did was a whole bunch of research into just what those 13 colonies looked like when the constitution and the government was being formed. And it was really mm -hmm. fascinating. You know, these people created a constitution and a system of government, um, you know, like two senators per state, blah, 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 that was designed to, for a reality where, you know, Vermont had something like maybe 60,000 people who lived in it who were going mm -hmm. to be allowed to participate in the government, males that own property, basically. And now you've yeah. got like, you know, uh, 600,000 people or almost a million or whatever. So so in a way that the world that existed that was designed to be managed by the system was like a completely alien society to the world that America has become and that we live in right now. So asking mm -hmm. that system to to still function adequately, you know, it, it used to be if you were a senator, you know, in a, I remember one state, if you were a senator and there were two of you, your voice represented 22,000 people. So that meant 22,000 yeah. people could seek you yeah. out and find you and try to talk to you. So that's a 1 to 22,000 ratio. And in that same mm -hmm. state now, you're representing something like, you know, 16 million or 8 million or some crazy number. So, mm -hmm. so the... I think what you might be saying is that our systems of governance need to evolve with the time. Of course, yeah, absolutely. And that is what yes. we try to do when we wrote the new constitution. Is is actually uh, just like you're saying is that we try to to update it mostly. I mean, a lot of the text is actually the same. I mean, human rights uh, are not going to be changed. <laughs> We're not going to go anywhere backwards, you know. Mm -hmm. And that chapter had been updated in Iceland back in 97, so that was sort of okay. Uh but uh uh, the the like like you were saying that the beauty about uh, waking up, if you like, about the fact that we can't just like sit and wait until somebody fixes our system because mm -hmm. we need to do it ourselves, is the fact that it's so obvious. I mean, it's obvious if if I as an outsider look at America, for example, it's obvious that money just runs that game. You know, mm -hmm. that that your your parliamentarians have no time to actually change things for the people because they have to have spend so much time in, in actually lobbying and just gathering money to be able to sustain themselves. Right. So it's like, it's almost impossible. It's like, a, this, uh, it's, it's, it's almost like so obvious also. So yeah. it's, it's like, you have to be a little bit distant in your brain to be able to say this system works perfectly. I think you have to be almost without the brain to say it. <laughs> so I think, I think, uh, in most people's opinion, people feel like, okay, this is too overwhelming. This project of trying to change the whole system is just so big. And I, I'm just going to go back and, 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 and just watch TV or something. This is right. not, I mean, I can't do it. So it's very disarming, this feeling of, of not being able to change things. Uh, but I think that's, that's what the, the, the current system uses. It, it makes us feel like we can change it. Mm -hmm. But the, what I wanted to say on this program, and thank you for giving me the opportunity, is basically... 
in Iceland, we could. And that means you can anywhere, you know. Mm-hmm. And even though we're a very small nation, we only have like 330,000 people, which is a joke in American context. Right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's like this. It, 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 it's a pattern, you know. And everything in life is actually a pattern, you know. It's a pattern the way we behave, the way we are uh, behaving towards each other and the way we organize as a society. Whether it's a small little village or a huge city, the pattern will be very similar. It's just an upscaled pattern, you know. Uh-huh. So I think when you find out that the pattern can be changed and should be changed, you can actually apply it to very many places with success, uh, only if you dare. <laughs> and I think right. uh, what we realized in Iceland is that, that what we've been told for so much, for so long, is that the people are not wise, you know, that the general public is actually quite stupid, you know, they don't have the information that all the experts have and all the parliamentarians and so on. So really they shouldn't mind what what's happening up there. They should just go on and do their gardening and eat the pizza and just, uh, you know, walk the dog, whatever. Right. They should just be passive, you know. But this is such a big, big, big mistake of looking at things that way because the wisdom actually in the crowd and that we found when we actually opened up this process and allowed the people of Iceland to participate in writing the new constitution through Facebook and through YouTube and through all the means that we had. We only had four months, so it was very strenuous trying to, to get the input of the people, but it worked. Mm-hmm. Is that, that there's an immense knowledge, even you know, the comments that were sort of coming from a completely different perspective. Some might say because the person uh, didn't have much knowledge, it, might have been full of wisdom nevertheless you know mm-hmm. and people might not be highly educated on every single topic like i am very ignorant when it comes to american football or whatever i don't want to know anything about it i don't have no interest but it doesn't mean that i'm stupid and it doesn't mean that i'm ignorant if you think about politicians in a way usually politicians are also not experts in basically anything they depend upon other people to advise them about this or that or the other subject. And if they don't choose Mm -hmm. the right person to get information from, yeah, Mm -hmm. there's so much incredible wealth of knowledge just dwelling in every corner of a society. And we, we risk a lot if we ignore those sources of information, I think. Yeah, exactly. And there's also, there's so much interesting development in this sort of uh, development of democracy happening at the moment, like, mm-hmm. like uh, Fiskin in Stanford, who is testing this deliberative polls, which is basically where you get maybe randomized bunch of people or not, and you get them together in a room, and you get them to talk about a specific topic, and then you give them loads of information on the topic, and then you get them to talk about it again. Mm. And what you measure is if they have uh, changed their mind in any, way, in any way, or if the output is different from getting the information or not. And it's incredibly powerful, because what always forgotten, in my opinion, is that uh, conversation has its own value. You know, mm-hmm. so when we decide to talk together, like you and me are doing now, even though say that, that this uh, this uh, radio program would never be aired, it would still have meaning that we had this conversation because it will have effect on both of us, mm-hmm. and it'll change something in the future in some way that we can't possibly perceive, but it still is meaningful. So when people are being sort of put off by politics and they feel like okay, it's too complex, or it's like I I, I don't have any saying anyway, and the system is so. Uh, unbelievably bad that I can't uh, I give up you know I don't vote and all that Mm -hmm. it's like uh, forgetting the whole fact that if you just try to talk about things and understand them and not and and even knowing that you can never understand anything fully right you know uh, you will you will have an asset inside of you that you can bring with you anywhere you go which is basically the fact that you had this conversation well yeah it's like um it's like the butterfly effect 
Absolutely, absolutely. And I think also that, that sort of what we've been taught for so long, and I think is part of the problems of the, the system that we have, is that we are so different from each other, that we, you know, oh my God, the Muslims, they just want this, and then those guys want this, and the feminists, oh my God, don't get me started, blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> it makes us into like those sort of little little groups of people that right. seem to feel that they have everything uh, against each other, basically, that the values are not shared at all. Mm-hmm. But I think that when you actually, when it all boils down to it, I mean, 90% of people just want to be happy, mm-hmm. and they want to be safe, and they probably want the same for the rest of it, you know. Yeah. You know, exactly, Katrin. And I'm going to need to take a quick break, everyone, because if you're just joining us, I'd like you to know this is March Twisdell, producer and host of Focus On. And today I'm having a great time talking with Katrin Ostatir. Before we return to the interview, I'd like to give a shout out to those folks that keep Voice of Ashan on your radio dial. KVSH program support comes from Snapdragon Bakery and Cafe, pastries in the morning, vegetarian lunches, wine, and music at night fill the friendly, casual atmosphere that is Snapdragon on Vashon Highway at the south end of Vashon Town. Support also comes from Vashon Adventures, home of Vashon Water Sports and Vashon E-Bike offering eco-friendly adventures on land and in the water, ride electric bikes, paddle kayaks or paddle boards, and camp at Maury Island Marine Park. You can learn more at VashonAdventures.com. Okie doke. So we have, this is Focus On. This is sort of my newer show. And I am speaking with Katrin Odzutir, who is from Iceland. And we've been chatting about this really amazing thing that's going on in her country that was sort of stimulated during the 2008 global economic collapse, where the people of Iceland said, okay, we have this constitution that we borrowed from the Danish government uh, about 80 years ago, and we'd like to go ahead and form our own. And they went through a really amazing crowdsourcing process and actually solicited lots of ideas basically from the people rather than a small group of experts, you know, telling everyone else how it should be. And then they got to a certain point, and we're going to dive back into that conversation and sort of finish that story about how far they got and where they got stuck and where they are now. So, Katrin, why don't you go ahead and finish that story for us? Okay, I will. <laughs> so what happened was that we managed in the four months, this group of 25 people, to write the new constitution for Iceland. Even uh, with the, uh, you know, everything being open and all the people being able to, uh, that wanted to, to comment, we got a lot of proposals and we got a lot of expert opinion also, of course, that we asked for. Mm-hmm. But mostly we got like uh, feedback from the public that was great. And, and we managed to finish most of the part, uh, most of the job in, in this consensus that is just a marvelous way to work because you come up with better, better ideas than if you just try to go and sort of stubbornly get your idea through. Oh, yeah. Consensus uh, is amazing. Yes, yes, absolutely. And then uh, we handed our draft to the parliament like we were supposed to. And what happened was sort of weird. The parliament just sat on it for a long time. It got a lot of experts to uh, comment on it. And of course, I may say this because I am a lawyer myself. The lawyers don't like normal people writing the constitution. They want this to be their private gig, you know. So they were like, ah, no, there's problems here and there's problems there. And, uh, you know, we this is not safe. And, of course, the parliamentarians got a little bit uh, scared. But also, what is a big part of the problem is that this new constitution limits the power of the parliamentarians. And <laughs> it makes them almost <laughs> unable to actually enact it. Because 
do they want us to be able to uh, rally 10% of the voters to actually block legislation and, and make it go into referendum? No. Hell no, they don't. You know, they want to be able to control things the way they have been controlling it. Mm -hmm. And also, there's huge interest in Iceland because uh, we are saying that the natural resources of the country belongs to the people of Iceland. You know, right. currently that is not the case. Like in almost every other country, there's a rich elite that controls the most valuable. Uh, natural resources in our case this is the fisheries mm -hmm. and they don't want to let go they don't want to let go they're not going to let go unless they have to fight so they own a huge state into some of the political parties and that becomes a problem also so we right. have to fight this battle uh, like every every battle that has has been fought in the in the history and won there is a complete uphill struggle against a system that feels that it must maintain itself you know right right yeah. So, uh, so what happened was that in the end, the parliament sort of said, okay, there's a lot of information about what to do. We're a little bit confused. Okay, let's just put this into a national referendum. The first question being something like this. Do you want this draft constitution to be the basis for a new constitution for Iceland? And 66% of the voters said yes. What's the average percentage of people who come out to vote? I think the average in a parliamentarian election is quite high. It's probably around 80. But right. this was a national referendum in a sort of a complex manner. So it was about 50% of turnout, you know. That is in a, in a sort of global context considered quite good. But in mm -hmm. Iceland, the context, we are not very happy with that. We would like to see the numbers being higher. And, and a lot of the opponents to the constitution said, well, the people who are against it just didn't show up. So let's just forget about it. No. That's not the way democracy works. No, you know, no, no, no. You guys in America know that first of all. But, yeah. you know, you have to just respect the decision. I mean, look at Brexit. It's mm -hmm. a complete horrible decision for the British nation. But do they even even think of ignoring it? No, they don't. And mm -hmm. it's not a binding referendum rather than the Icelandic one. Right. This is just a, a, a big real scandal if you think about it. And just because we're isolated up here in the Atlantic Ocean, it doesn't mean that the world can't help us in actually fighting this battle and finishing it. Right. And what we're getting now is like sort of a uh, you know, when the trees came in Lord of the Rings, you know, and fixed everything. Right. <laughs> it's a little bit like that. We're getting like foreign academics coming from Berkeley, from Stanford, from Harvard, from all over the shop, from Yale saying, listen, we have looked at this constitution and it's actually great. It, it will uh, it will last for about 60, 70 years, in our opinion. It has no major flaw. It brings on more justice and all, all that. And every year that passes now without this con constitution being enacted, because essentially what the parliament did was just ignore that results from the referendum. Um, so basically what happened is when it went to the referendum and you obtained, what was it, 68% of the votes or something were in favor within the law of your country. That means that it should have gone forward to what next step? Well, that's that's the problematic part. There's no law that says that the parliament is obliged to follow the, the, the decision of a national referendum. Oh, well, then what's so the point could... of doing a referendum? If yeah, no... exactly. It's just... <laughs> It's just a really expensive sort of opinion poll or something. Oh. But but that's, of course, not... Even if there is no law that says that you as a parliamentarian are supposed to uphold the will of the public, there's, of course, a moral obligation. And you don't need to be very, very, very smart to realize that. Well, and there's and an implication just in the government in and of itself. I mean, so, so basically... The referendum went through, it was essentially a success, and then Parliament just basically said, eh, we're busy nothing. with other things. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Okay. And the, and the, cons and the sort of conservative powers got back into uh, power, and they don't want this because they, they feel that this is just not on, you know. But, but that's nothing to be afraid of because there's always 
this thing about every system is that it will try to maintain itself and it's only normal right, that's right, why it is a right. system you know so we will just have to wait and fight but uh, there's been opinion polls done ever since and they always show the same it's about two-thirds of the country that feels very strongly about this being enacted immediately okay. uh, and and now as the international support is increasing and there's actually a really beautiful story about the seattle girl called Eileen Jarrett that is a really mm -hmm. great friend of mine today and she, uh, she is a filmmaker and she's, she's made a movie about coffee and about some bands and, and she was going to come to Iceland in 2011 and, and make a film about Icelandic music scene because it's very vibrant you know mm -hmm. and she came over and she realized hang on what are they doing here are they writing a new constitution so she started filming at the constitutional council and she was one of the very few media even though the, the, the writing of the new constitution gained massive international attention it was very sort of little here in the Icelandic media. It was summertime and people were just doing other things. But she filmed a lot and she did a lot of interviews and she made this great documentary called Blueberry Soup. And she's been traveling all over the world with this documentary of hers. Wow. First it was showed in the law department of Berkeley, then it's showed in the law department of Harvard. And now she's gone over all over Europe also, mostly in universities and law departments, but also just in, in uh, big rallies and whatever. And, uh, and she's been filming a lot lately also. And she's really trying to help us. You know, she's a... She's an artist that's about 32 years old, that has the mm -hmm. most beautiful smile and just a passion to try to change things, but very sort of a soft and passive way of, of, of uh, doing things, just as a, as a, almost as a bystander, but willing right. to take action if she needs. She's just doing great. So uh, she's helped a lot, and now she's doing a new film on, on the current situation, I think. So let me make sure that was clear. It's called Blueberry, like the fruit. Um, yeah. Blueberry soup. soup. Yeah. Like okay. the wet dish. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, like you're drinking Blueberry soup. <laughs> so as you were saying earlier, and then I want to move on because you have a couple other things that are really cool that you want to talk about today, and time is passing. So on June 3rd, you were in California because Berkeley University of Law was hosting basically a large get-together where they wanted to listen, learn from, and support the efforts of Icelanders. Um, so tell us a little bit about um, what that was about, what was going on. Mm -hmm. It was a wonderful event. It was uh, hosted by Berkeley, like you said, and there was a lot of people that came over from Iceland, people from that are interested in this constitutional matters and parliamentarians and so on. And then there was a lot of experts from all over the world and just people from the street, I gather, or who, I don't know how they found out about this event, but <laughs> it was a big, big a participatory thing where we were talking in small groups the whole day and then going back into lectures and and this sort of like uh, just trying to understand why can this happen why can it be that a, a successfully written constitution that is for the first time in the world written by the participation of the public is mm -hmm. blocked by the parliament of any nation you know right. and again we're not north korea here we're iceland we're supposed to be very democratic and we're supposed to be like doing things right you know so right. it is quite bizarre that this hasn't happened and of course for, for constitutional experts, this is just like a field day. The fact that we have a constitution written in this way, they love it. Right. And they want to see what happens if it's enacted and if it can be enacted because this is a whole new path forward. The fact that people can actually take control in writing their own social contract is a new proof and truth of the fact that people are not stupid, you know, and the wisdom of the crowd is immense. It's a really great point you make because a lot of people in America, it's just such an assumption that the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution was created by people who were capable of speaking on behalf of the common man and woman. But really, that's actually asking a lot of people who were 
mostly of the wealth class, you know, slave owners. You know, mm-hmm. they basically, it was almost more a battle between two different consolidated groups um, within the wealth class, you know, the old British and the new colonialists. But still, they were mostly the people who were economically comfortable. The idea of a constitution being fundamentally sourced and written by the people of the land who are going to be ruled by or through that constitution seems almost like a final step towards what would be considered true democracy. Yeah, I think so. And of course, this process has its its flaws, like every process, and you can probably do it better. But the general lesson of it is beautiful. It just Mm -hmm. proves the fact that we we don't need people to make decisions for us all the time. It's great to have them most of the time. And I think leaving representative democracy would be a stupid thing to do, because we need to outsource this decision making. But we need to be able to take the power back when we need to and when we want to. You can't say that the people that are in power and you get to vote every four years can represent every decision that comes up totally unexpected. And we have all those methods and ways now to connect and make decisions on a group level. We don't need to horseback ride to a one specific place like we used to, to make decisions and to meet, you know, this Mm -hmm. has changed. And and why hasn't our system changed with it? It's just such a big puzzle. And I think currently, if we don't make a promise almost to the future generation that we will actually fight to change this, there won't be many future generations. And this is a fact, I think. I know. Obviously, the system isn't working because we are massively failing to respond to some serious issues that threaten the survival of all species, if not our own. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I think is really interesting has happened in America too, and I'm I'm sort of currently um, advocating to go the other direction, is I believe that under the civil rights movement, it was recognized that states could hold on to old, bad ideas So we used our national power to sort of force some of our individual states to adjust their culture, you know, to get rid of the Jim Crow Mm -hmm. laws and things like that. However, at the same time, the national level is so far beyond our ability in a nation of 350 million to really be in touch with a lot of what's going on that Mm -hmm. the thing is that it's your state level where you have the opportunity to be more intimately connected with your fellow people and to more deeply understand the issues. And it's super important that we start paying attention at the state level as well so we can gain that intimacy and in a way have more direct engagement. Yeah, and if I can add to that, what you're saying is that uh, for the last maybe five years since I've participated in this in Iceland, I've been traveling all over the world talking about this and explaining what happened over here. And uh, and uh, I've seen so many crazy cool initiatives in many different places. We're actually, we are on the way to somewhere else. I can feel it. We're just not there yet. And there mm-hmm. are people experimenting with all these things that you're talking about, with how we can get people to participate in the decision-making that actually uh, affects them on a local level. And there are so many cool ways to do it, you know. And and I've been told so many times people are stupid that I sort of believed it. <laughs> and then I went, and then, and then, or to an extent at least. And then I went and, 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 and witnessed how they behaved when they were actually given some respect and actually given the opportunity to actually make an, a, a change or, or participate and and I was proven so wrong and then uh, the other thing that I want to say about this is that you can't forget the fact that it's so much fun when you actually 
go into doing something like uh, participating in this national meetings that we've been doing where you where you just talk about maybe something big like the future of democracy it seems like impossible for the average person to get any grasp of it but you sit down with 10 other people at the table and you start saying well i think education blah 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 and, and all of a sudden the world starts starts to sort of unravel and you realize that you have loads of opinions and you have loads of saying about everything and you have loads of wisdom inside you that you never actually thought you had and this is such a marvelous feeling so democracy isn't only great because it yields the best results it's also great because it makes people that actually get to really participate in it feel great <laughs> well i mean i would imagine it feels a lot better to have a sense of purpose and a role to play and an opportunity to take action than it would feel to be living in a space where you feel like you truly do have no voice, which so many people right now feel in America and they are so grappling with and frustrated by, or even scarier to get to a point like, you know, North Korea or somewhere else where yeah. where you can't even grapple anymore. I yeah. mean, you know, your survival is based upon absolutely truly convincing yourself it's true so that no one ever catches you looking like there's a question in your eye and, you know, you have to literally self-brainwash just for the sake of survival. So, yes, yeah. I agree. It, yeah, it's more fun to be engaged. Absolutely. Yeah. And also, uh, like you mentioned, the sense of purpose, it's not only uh, <clears throat> a fun feeling to have, it's actually a vital feeling to have. The whole situation that we have, if you look at the Western world, where we have obesity and we have depression and we have all this medication and people are just they don't mm -hmm. feel good in general. Well, I think a huge part of that is actually this sort of lack of a feeling of purpose. You feel like it doesn't really matter if you wake up every day because you don't get to matter when it comes to having a say in your life, you know. Right. So it's like a vicious circle almost, you know, and it really is proven again and again and again that the feeling of having a purpose is really important is vital of, of, of actually achieving real happiness same mm -hmm. as just uh, having real connections with other people is is vital for you to be able to feel real happiness you can't go around in life and not connecting to others and, and forming real deep connections and be a very happy person it's almost impossible you know i mean one of the big things about schools is there's there's this burgeoning you know growing revolution in the the world of thought around educating kids and a lot of it comes around look instead of constantly basically micromanaging them and controlling everything and pretending they have choice within this very narrow area that mm -hmm. you give them choice in is to be like, you know, okay, how can we make it so that what they choose to contribute to the conversation will actually affect the outcome in an honest and sincere way? Because kids are smart. Teenagers especially, they get it whether they have real power or whether you are pretending they have power. And if they have real mm -hmm. power, they suddenly up at, you know, their thought goes up a notch and their engagement changes and because now they know they matter. Exactly. And it is a completely applicable to the public when it comes to democratical decisions. Mm -hmm. You, Why should you feel like you have to be turned on, like your brain has to be turned on if you feel that? In the end of the day, you do not have any power. Why should you really do it? Why shouldn't you just go on Facebook and hang out rather than actually uh, trying to uh, influence anything? You know. Right. And in my opinion, the current system does not allow normal people to have enough saying. Mm -hmm. And and I have to stress here that there is bad direct democracy and good direct democracy. You have to really do it really in a sort of mind the quality of those sort of uh, ways to to 
call out the information from the public. Referendums are not the only and the best way to actually uh, use the right democracy at all. There, right. There's much more clever ways to use it, like the, the way we used here in Iceland, which was we stumbled upon maybe and, and, and was uh, has proven to be quite great, is to have a big meeting with random selection of people, mm-hmm. call for the big lines, then have a, a elected group of people that just have this one assignment just write the new constitution then disappear please you know mm-hmm. instead of those political parties that always want to maintain themselves and will right. always behave in a way that will in the future benefit them we had no right. invested interest of continuing anything we were just disappeared as soon as we finished bernie sanders in 2015 and 2016 also demonstrated just how remarkably different the world is today than it was even 10 years ago basically ran in incredibly informative, successful, wonderful campaign changed America dramatically with all contributions from, you know, the crowdsourcing from the people. I mean, that That was was certain, can't be done. The American people stood up and said, oh, well, let's see. I think it can be done because this is what we care about. This is what we need done. So, yeah, there's so much change out there and change is beautiful. Whether you're going to the moon, whether you're discovering, you know, a a new treatment for cancer, um, change can be absolutely brilliant and wonderful. It does not have to be something people are scared of. After all, we, we all want to run out and get the new iPhone every single year. Well, that's a change. Mm -hmm. So Mm change, the attitude we have about change is either going to be fear or excitement or joy, mm-hmm. or curiosity, you know, or intrepidation. And it's, I think it's the manipulation of attitudes that really yeah, um, is very important to pay attention to because change in and of itself is neither good nor bad. And it can be yeah. either one depending on how it's shaped and how we approach it. I agree. And I think politicians use this fear that we hold uh, a lot. And they use words like uncertainty. I can't remember how many times, but I counted in one of the news programs after the collapse here in Iceland in 2008, how many times, you know, the anchor people said uncertainty and the politicians said uncertainty. And and it was hilarious. (laughs) It was like 50 times or something during the space of 20 minute news program. And it's so cute that the human monkey is very afraid of uncertainty. But if you think about it, the only thing that we are certain of is that we're going to die. So (laughs) certainty is a certain way of, of, of just like saying things and, you know, mm-hmm. while uncertainty has, as like you were explaining, has so much beauty in it because it can grow into something so beautiful. Or if it's problematic, you can try to fix it or change it. But mm-hmm. but stale positions where nothing changes except for the fact that everything changes are horrendous. And I think that's yeah. where we're at now as a globe. We're just looking, all of us are looking at each other's faces going like, why the hell isn't this changing? Why isn't why isn't there a, an example of something being shown that you can do things differently? You know, yeah. What and next? We, Iceland, we, yeah. we came very close. I mean, with our little project of the constitution, we came quite close of showing at least in that uh, area you can do things differently. But the current system is blocking it. You know, and it's such a it's almost heartbreaking. And we will never we will never stop fighting. We will get it done in the end. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about how you're going to get this done. Then obviously you sort of like you're 95% of the way there. And Iceland is very unique when it comes to the long history of um, powerful actions, movements, and successes, specifically led by the women 
of your nation. I mean, it's just just fascinating, and, and ho- some of the stories are hilarious. And I, I don't have time to go into detail, but I'm. <laughs> so you have generations upon generations of women who who are alive today in Iceland who have personally experienced and been engaged with successful campaigns of one sort or the other. What is it that you have been thinking about with regard to directing the power and the energy of the women of Iceland? Well, uh, if I can just go back a little, it was mm-hmm. uh, when I was a kid, I'm born in 1977, and in 1983, some women in Iceland established a new political party called the Women Alliance, and it was an all-women party. You know, and it was, of course, unheard of anywhere and, and, and totally in Iceland. And they, my mom was part of it. So I was brought up inside of that. Brilliant in many ways, but also very frustrating for a, for a, for a 10-year-old. What they th- did was quite amazing. They got a lot of seats in parliament. They, they actually, because first nobody took them seriously. It was like, oh, what are they up to, you know? But then the, the survey started coming out and the support they had was just more and more and more. And, and the guys started going like, oh, no, what? This is, <laughs> this is bad. News. We have to do something. So actually, all the, uh, you know, the like the promises of the other political parties started changing. All of a sudden, they were talking about environmental issues they have never spoken before about. They were talking about daycare issues. They were talking about equality issues. And so they they changed the whole political landscape of Iceland just with their existence, and of course with the fact that they managed to triple the number of women in the parliament and so on. So they did really well. And then uh, in uh, in somewhere in the 90s, they melted into some other. Uh, coalition and stopped existing and I have never been a part of any political party apart from this one and I think it was I was about 17 or something when it ended and now in the last few days I've been thinking do we need to start a new one you know is that is this the only way to move forward mm-hmm. because I feel a lot of the women in Iceland like you explained a lot of we have a lot of powerful women here and of course powerful men also but but there is a lot of people here that uh, are female and want to do things and are not afraid and maybe we just need to do this once more just to sort of re-navigate the whole system on where it's going mm-hmm. I think women have much less tolerance decision like this is being ignored I, I hardly right. ever meet women that go like oh that's fine and and a lot of the leaders in Iceland that have actually been trying to get this done are also women so I was thinking the other day and my mom was like sort of encouraging me being in her late 70s now go do it it was so much fun <laughs> should I, you know should I just like go for it and I mean I, I have the feeling that at this round we probably would welcome men also at least men that would want to uh, help but at the same time uh, what we're facing and, and what I'm trying to describe on this lovely program of yours that I think is a problem is a system that's outdated. And of course, the patriarchy is a big, huge part of that problem, you mm-hmm. know, and we have glass ceilings and we have glass walls and we have glass spears that are cutting into us all over the shop. And we're still the most equal nation of the whole world when it mm-hmm. comes to the sexes, you know. Let's just change it drastically, you know. Like, for example, in Iceland, how can it possibly be that there are so many uh, like sexual crimes against women and children every single year? I mean, everybody now is educated. How can it still exist? This is like a plague. Mm-hmm. And we've had massive revolutions through the digital uh, social media in the last few years in Iceland. One was called the Free the Nipple <laughs> Revolution, where women of Iceland just freed their nipple, basically. So they, they went online and they took a picture of them showing one of their breasts. Just saying, like, listen, you can't use this against me. This is my body. This is my body. And right. if you're going to try to, like, publish something uh, online and, and use it to subdue me or, or somehow uh, make me weak, it's just too late. I'm going to do it myself. <laughs> but, so the internet in Iceland was for a few weeks or months just full of 
breasts. Right, <laughs> and right. People, and people talking about, well, that was a good thing or a bad thing. A lot of men sweating about, this was really bad for them. It's going to be used against them later in life. You know what? This is what is used against them all the time. So right. if they want to do it themselves and do it on their own terms, right. forget about it. You have lost power. You know? And that's the so whole point lots... right there. The idea that it can be used against you later in life yeah. is yeah. is saying that it is currently used against you now and that, it, that it's even legit. You know, I mean, how yeah. many men walk around showing off their nipples and just because they're yeah. not capable of breastfeeding a child – Somehow yeah. that's supposed to actually be a positive. I'm so sorry you're incapable of producing milk. Oh, what a, you know, what a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> Poor you. Yeah. I can keep my kid alive if I have to, right? So, um, yeah, we exactly. But that shows you the ingrainedness of mm-hmm. patriarchal viewpoints. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. At the moment, we are so, so close to actually reaching the goal of returning the shame for sexual crimes back onto the perpetrators. We're right. so close, but we're not there. We're getting closer and closer. The voices of the victims in Iceland mm-hmm. are quite, quite strong. And I think we could actually do a great job in actually proving <laughs> to ourselves and maybe to the world that this doesn't have to be this way. You don't have to tolerate ridiculous data showing that one in every three girls has something like that happen to her before she gets 25 or something. This right. is just not on. This is a serious epidemic and it's right. a worldwide epidemic and it can't be changed. It's interesting because you use the word epidemic. If we think about the uh, media attention that was given to the measles outbreak in Disneyland a few years ago, (laughs) there was something like, I think over an entire year, somewhere around maybe 300 people actually contracted measles in the United States of America that may have been related to someone who came into that area. I mean, the whole world heard about that. Meanwhile, we have thousands of women every day who Mm -hmm. are being sexually assaulted and mm. the amount of Butters. media attention directed towards it is extremely small. Yeah, that yeah. is crazy. That is one of the one of the ways that you can actually shine a light on the fact that this patriarchy thing is still just such a huge problem for us. Yeah. And it's not problem for us women; it's problem for us humans. Yes. You know? And it's and it's like ridiculous to try to uh, isolate this as a, as a us against them sort of thing. Oh yeah. I mean, there are no, lot, no, no. You know. And I think what's beautiful about this latest thing here in Iceland is that the fathers of the girls who were uh, the victims of this man, they are actually fronting this battle and they won't give up. Mm -hmm. There's one actor and another guy and he just keeps on going. This guy, this uh, perpetrator, he was so sure he would get away with it and nobody would care because people would feel, oh, this is the way system is and we can't really Mm -hmm. change it. But but just this guy through Facebook and through media, he's actually managing to change the law in the space of a few weeks. But that means the society is also ready. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. normally when you have big ethical changes in law and regulation, it's because society has moved there before the legislator. So right. that's why we need to also wake up and, and try to, you know, knock on all the doors that we can to, to make the society into what we want to make it into because we're responsible for it. It's another example of the wisdom of the people. When you look at the economic class that the representatives and senators in our national government are a part of something like, you know, 90% of them are millionaires. And, yes. you know, it's like how on earth can P- – <laughs> and then, of course, you've got the multimillionaires. Um, yeah, uh, Diane Feinstein in California is worth like, you know, $200 million. You know, you've got mm-hmm. these super wealthy people who – 
do not have to think about their budget when they go to the grocery store if they even shop for themselves anymore. They don't live day to day, week to week, paycheck to paycheck, year to year. They do not live with that skill set of managing a budget because there's they have so much money they don't have to think that way. The idea that Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump were the two best human beings in the United States of America that could become the leader of our nation. That's a joke. There are millions yeah, of people in our country yeah. that are a hundred times better than both of those people. Yeah. Don't have the money to do it and, the, and they don't have the grit of power to do it. But I think yeah. that again, this raises the sort of argument for using uh, random selections of people because mm. then you eliminate this this part of the wealthy actually being because you have to separate powers that's the first rule of if you want to try to minimize corruption you try to separate powers so you separate the power of judicial and the power of law and the power of uh, executive mm -hmm. but you also have to separate the power of the media and the power of the wealth and all these things you know those are big great pillars if they stand too, too close to each other the roof is going to fall you know right. and the and that's the that's the thing that's happening now and evidently in america and a lot of other places also is that you have the power of wealth and the power of politics way too combined and mm -hmm. that's why people don't trust you know because they right. have like you say they have they don't share the 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 quality of life with with the world so who try to then distribute quality of life that they think the other ones should get you know it's mm -hmm. like ridiculous yeah and you know in 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 brazil and other places they've been trying to work with the budgets of local places like Porto Alegre, that the people themselves budget for, for uh, what they want to do with the local governmental money through direct democracy because they know best what they need and stuff like that. Right. And it, it had been like uh, doubted that they could do it properly. That, like the same people that say people would always vote for less tax, but it's not true. There's mm -hmm. been a national referendum in Denmark and actually that the decision was to, to up the taxes there mm -hmm. <laughs> because if people know what they're getting, they're willing to, to pay for it, I think, at least in, in many societies that I've been to. You know, right. if, if you feel that you're you're going to get good health service for you and your, your family, you're willing to, to pay for it to some extent. Of course you are, because you right. can't fix yourself when you have a heart attack, you know. <laughs> so right. I, I think, you know, of course, it's very strange the system in America for all, this whole thing. But I think in the end of the day, the big lie that we've been taught and we have to sort of unlearn is the fact that we're all so different and we want so different things, you know. Because I don't think we really are the obstacles that we think we are. Exactly. I mean, isn't that so weird? Like, you know, in, in a small tribal society, you don't look at the people around you as obstacles to your own success. You look at them as necessary to your survival. And we have slid, I think, because of the numbers of people that there are um, in particular, is that we've started to slide into an idea of, you know, well, some people are disposable and, you know, mm -hmm. I don't want to be the disposable person. Exactly, and that, that the thing that I'm obsessed with at the moment is, uh, it's actually, I went to Princeton uh, last February to talk in, in the university there, and I saw, because Einstein used to go to Princeton, he used to teach there also, I didn't know that, and, mm -hmm. and I saw this old statue with him, and there was a quote, and I probably don't know it exactly right, but, but what it said was something like this, uh, the ideas that have enlightened me uh, and gotten me through difficult passages in life, time after time, uh, are kindness, beauty, and truth. And what I thought was so beautiful about it, this is like old stuff from Plato, if you think about it, but it's so relevant. And what I thought was so beautiful about it is that Einstein himself, man of science, puts kindness first before mm -hmm. beauty and truth. Truth is third, you know. 
Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, like this, like you're describing this rat race that we're we're forced to run every single day, like little hamsters on wheels, and we don't really understand why. And then we get depressed and burnt out, and we don't understand why still, you know. And and we are wasting, you know, the time that we could be building up things and and discovering things and and being kind to each other, and actually just being bad to ourselves and frustrated towards the fact that we can't change things. Right. But it's such a myth. Right. You know. Absolutely. Because just, but just even, just even this, like this concept of kindness, you can use it like hundred times every day. Just the way you talk to people, just the way you approach people on the street or whatever. And it's, it's free. A complete choice. And yeah, it's, it's free. free. <laughs> and beauty, beauty. The best type of beauty is like art and, and nature, and you don't have to, you don't have to pay for it. You don't have to, you know. And 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 of course, truth, which is a is a t- difficult one, and we're we're often just stuck there arguing if the truth is A or B, and maybe there is no certain truth. But the the beauty and the kindness is uh, is more factual, in my opinion. It's something mm-hmm. that you do, and you don't expect anything back, and then, of course, the whole world comes back to you somehow. Well, I think uh, that's a perfect and beautiful note to end the show on since we are out of time and I'm really glad that you brought that up and I'm I'm loving that Einstein um, said that and that they captured it and put it up on his statue I think that's brilliant yeah yeah Katrin thank you so much thank you it was wonderful to talk to you yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I really want to track how things go forward. So, you know, like maybe about a year from now, we should come back and, um, check. I mean, for all we know, you might be heading into another referendum or maybe, mm-hmm. you know, um, parliament will have actually moved forward on this. I really would like it if you'd keep me aware of what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> we'll try to remember. I would, I would love to speak to you again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's our show, folks. I hope that, like me, Focus On and Prose Poetry and Purpose, my other show, allow you to contemplate new ideas and ask more creative questions about what is possible in the world. Many thanks go to Windermere Vashon, for it is their generosity that has given me the opportunity to create this show. My name is March Twisdale, and you've been listening to my interview with Katrin Odstotir here on Focus On, where my guests share how they hope to see the world change for the better, one shared idea at a time.